This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Michael Pelka back in the chair for Buck Sexton. I am here tonight, tomorrow, and we'll say goodbye to 2020 between tonight and tomorrow. I won't be here on New Year's Eve. That's the best of Buck. But I am here tonight, and we're going to take care of business, try and cover everything we can, dealing with what's going on in D.C. and some other stuff happening around the world, as well as we're going to look ahead to next week. As you know, we've got the uh, runoff elections in Georgia, and we're going to try and track down Scott Pressler. He's one of the people who's knocking on doors and trying to make sure the Republicans win those runoffs in Georgia. And we'll find out what he's up to. We also have the the um, joint session of Congress where the electoral votes will be certified or contested. And we're hearing there is going to be some contesting. So we will deal with that. And there may be some rallies on the streets. And we're anticipating some pretty large crowds that are going to be there. And one of the people who will be there is one of my favorite people of all in the world of journalism and media. She's somebody I just met this year for the first time. Her name is Tracy Beans. She is the brains behind UncoverDC.com. UncoverDC.com is a website you should be visiting if you are not. And uh, in addition to the commitment to finding the truth and putting the truth out there without fear or favor, as they used to say at the New York Times, but they really mean it at Uncovered DC. Tracy is also one of the nicest people you'd ever meet in your whole life. And so I'm really thrilled she's here with us. And and matter of fact, I'm going to put her in the top 10 of all the people I know on the planet. Tracy Beans, my friend, welcome. Hi, that's so not, how do I, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. See, now you get it. A lot of people don't understand how to take a compliment. And the only way to take a compliment is not to reject it, is not to diminish yourself, but just to simply say, thank you. Wow, thanks, Casey. And now back to the countdown. (laughs) So uh, Tracy Beans at Uncovered DC, a place you should go and visit, is is just, as I said, one of my favorite people, but she's a journalist dedicated to finding the truth, sharing the truth, etc. And I want to talk about next week and what's happening on the 6th of January, but you've got you've always got something bubbling over at oh. Uncovered DC. What is bubbling? What can you tease us with? Well, it's bubbling a little bit, you know, um, there's in the COVID world, people are just really getting fed up, Mike. I think, you're, you know, you're seeing the clips of restaurant owners, you know, joining in, in, in warehouses with a bunch of their restaurant owner friends and just proclaiming they're going to ignore these shutdowns and new data is coming out about the, um, you know, how, how asymptomatic spread is not a thing, which is something we've been talking about for months, almost a year now. Well, now brave people are starting to step forward and talk about the politicization of the lockdowns why they um why they decided to lock down in the face of data that didn't really jive with the conclusion 
Um, and so I've got a piece that I'm working on, uh, which will cover somebody very brave, a, a couple people actually, willing to put their names on the record and come forward about some things going on in Nevada. Okay. They're going to actually allow their names in print. They're not afraid of being doxxed or threatened or all that stuff. Way past that point. As I think I said to you very early in the beginning, I don't like to print stories without on the record sources. Mm -hmm. And in a rare occasion like this, where somebody actually has the, has the guts to stand up for what's right, it's really, really awesome to be able to print their name and have them stand by it. And it's going to be something. I hate teasers, but I, I'm not done with it yet. So good. It'll be something. Well, when you say it's something, and it, it, as Tracy Beans did say, she likes to be on the record at all times uh, with confirmed sources not saying, if true, no. She's got the statements from the people. So this is a good thing, and I, I'm going to be waiting with bated breath, as <laughs> they say. And Hopefully today. Good, 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 good. So you, here's the deal, people. You just put UncoverDC.com in your browser. Give it, you know, give it a link. Save the link and go there every day. And you'll be smarter. You might even play better on Jeopardy Ooh. If, if you go there every single day. Which <laughs> I, I'm already missing Alex Trebek. Can I say that before we talk about next week? Are you like me? Are you missing Alex Trebek? Because we're out of new Alex Trebek episodes on Jeopardy. He was just a great man. He, I didn't know him personally, obviously, but he, he was just great. He reminds me of my grandma and my grandpa, like being at their house and having dinner over there when my parents were working and, and just they were watching Jeopardy. And it just reminds me of my childhood. Oh, I thought you were going to say they asked you questions over dinner. Well, they did. All, oh, good, good. Well, that's good, too. We had that as I well. learned a lot on Jeopardy. Oh, well, you do. Just by watching it, your IQ can go up 10 points. I guarantee you. <laughs> I, and I, I was such a big fan, but uh, I'm in such an ADD mode as we get to the end of the year. I bounce around on topics, but I want to be laser focused about next week. Washington, D.C., January 6th is a big day with a joint session of Congress. But more than the 535 people gathered, there are going to be, I imagine, maybe 500,000 people showing up. I think there'll be more, Mike. Honestly, I think there will be more people here this time than the first go round when we spoke, only because the first go round was completely organic grassroots thing. There was no direction from President Trump. This time he asked for people to come. I know there's a lot of people who did not make the trip the other two times that will be coming to DC this time. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, it's getting so big that the Hotel Harrington, it appears, has now, he, they wrote this letter. Do you want me to read it real quick? It's yeah. quick. Yeah, sure. This is one of the hotels that was supposed to be uh, taking reservations from people coming for this rally. Yeah, so yesterday they put out this statement. Washington, D.C. has been our home for 106 years. We join with all of our guests, visitors, staff, and neighbors in our concern and desire for everyone's health and safety. We appreciate the trust our guests have placed in us over the years. We wish to continue to earn it. We can't control what happens outside. We are taking additional steps to protect the safety of our visitors, guests, and employees. Hotel Harrington will be closed. On January 4th, 5th, and 6th, we will not be accommodating guests with the exception of our long-term residents who call our hotel home. Refunds will be made for all prepaid reservations. Notifications are being sent to all reservation holders beginning today. Wow. So this is one of the hotels that was expecting guests 
who were going to be attending rallies and events on January 6th aimed at uh, what some are using the hashtag Stop the Steal and oh, to overturn the current results of the election and decertify the Electoral College votes. And they are worried about, I guess, violence. I think they just don't they want to deter people from coming. I think that, you know, Mayor Bowser before the last event changed COVID restrictions for quarantine and all kinds of other things, um, trying to deter people from coming in. But, you know, that's not happening. People are still coming. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens that day with all of these people in D.C. from all in the middle of the week, mind you, Mike. Yeah, this, this is, is a, a Wednesday. It's a, a big midweek thing. I have a reservation. I'm planning on getting into town on the evening of the 5th, having a um, half smoke at Ben's Chili Bowl, you know, getting the good hot dog and chili in me before getting up early on Wednesday and attending whatever's going on. So I will be in D.C. I was not staying at that hotel that is uh, telling people we're closing. But I will be there. I know I can't. This this is I'm wondering if there has been pressure from the left to tell hotels to close down. Well, I know that there's a lot of price gouging going on also, Mike. Well, I can tell you this. If you're a smart shopper like me and you use an app like Hotel Tonight, you're not going to be gouged. I can tell you I got a pretty good deal. It's crazy because I think that the Trump Hotel is now at forty six hundred dollars a night. Get out. Seriously. $4,600 a night for the... What do you get? You better get Donald and Melania bringing you dinner. (laughs) Literally serving you in bed, right? Wow. So I'm not going to ask you where you're staying, and I'm certainly not going to tell people where I am staying, but I am within walking distance of everything. So I have plans to be in D.C., and you and I better make a connection to cover whatever's going on there. I... I will tell you, I'm trying to use every last favor I have to see if might be able to get into the White House oh. on that day. Because I think getting a one-day temporary press pass to the White House, that would be the place to be. I would say there's going to be some fireworks there. It seems like things are shaping up like this strategy of decertification is kind of going all all the way here. It looks like Pennsylvania released some information yesterday. It's it's really going to fall on some of these governors. But I think that these congressmen and senators have more than enough information in their hands or should to debate these issues. And at the very worst case, you know, just prolong and delay this to, to bring it to a House vote, in which case... On January 6th, we may be celebrating. I would hope so. I would hope so. The The numbers you're talking about out of Pennsylvania seem to show that there were more than 200,000 votes than they have registered voters. No. Wasn't that, that wasn't it? <clears throat> no, that wasn't it. It it was, there were more than 200,000 votes than they say people voted. Well, that's, I, I thought that was kind of the same thing, No. No, because there are six million registered voters in okay. in Pennsylvania. So basically what they did was they took the total ballots cast and then the total um, votes counted from the county data and shore data, the shore system, which is what actually calculates everything at the end of the day. And they subtracted the difference between the two of them to find that 202,377 more ballots were cast than voters who voted. 
So that would be enough to bridge the margin that has oh, yes. been declared. Now, uh, is this going anywhere or is this going to be part of the January 6th that's discussion? They're calling for them to decertify Pennsylvania's results. That's what they're calling for. And Arizona apparently has an announcement coming as well. Um, I think that, if anything, this will be in the arsenal of debate materials that these congressmen and senators will have at their disposal when they're trying to debate electoral votes. And to be honest, I shared a thread yesterday, Mike, from some folks who put together other people objecting to electoral college votes on the floor in other elections passed because it's not all that you know, of an obscure practice. The Democrats do it all the time. Yeah, it seems like every time a Republican has won in recent years, the Democrats have spent this day of certification protesting and ultimately getting gaveled down, but they didn't have the evidence we have here, nor did they have the alternate slates of electors, which we have here, and that is the critical difference. Tracy Beans, I'm up against the wall, but I have to tell you, I will see you in D.C., God willing, next week, and let's stand up for what's right. Amen. Happy New Year to everyone, too. And a Happy New Year to you, and a Happy New Year to all of you listening to The Buck Sexton Show. Mike Opelka, stepping aside for a couple. We'll be right back. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is The Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Mike Opelka, the godfather, if you will, sitting in for my friend Buck. Happy to be here. Thrilled to be here hanging out with you. Many, many things to get to today. I do want to focus on some of the um, some of the madness around the Georgia runoffs, especially when it comes to the money. The Georgia runoffs, they have raised since the election day, since November 3rd, The Georgia runoffs have brought in $350 million between the four candidates, more than $200 million to the Democrats. Think about that. $200 million for these two Democrat candidates, really with no track record, and uh, they've already spent their money. They're putting out the word today that they need more money. If they're going to compete, they have to have more millions. Now, most of this money's coming, obviously, from out of the state, outside of the state, a lot of it from Hollywood. The, uh, the Republicans have raised over $150 million. So you have all this money pouring in for two Senate seats. $350 million will probably hit $400 million by the time the election rolls around a week from today. It's a staggering amount of money, and it shows you how important these elections are. But the Democrats are starting to get a little concerned. We're hearing the Democrat establishment is saying, why are we pumping money into this state? We saw down-ballot races not go the way we anticipated. We saw down-ballot races all across the country. How many House seats did Nancy Pelosi lose? Virtually every contested House seat went to a Republican. And it looks like as every day grows longer in the Georgia race, 
we hear more and more stories about the crazy allegations against these candidates, this Warnock guy and the camp he was involved with. I know Kelly Leffler is saying that the allegations of abuse against the campers that are now rising up, that they should be disqualifying. We will see. You know what we should do? Uh, There's a guy named Scott Pressler who's out knocking on doors in Georgia. And I think I can get a hold of him and we'll get the straight scoop from Scott Pressler. You should know Scott. You've seen him. He's all over the place on, uh, on Fox. He's a very tall young man. I think he's just 19 years old. This was the first election he voted in. And he's a conservative. And he said, I'm also a gay man, a gay conservative, which is a new demographic for the GOP. And I'm happy to see it developing. So I think we'll get Scott Pressel around the show tonight. I'm also going to play the host privilege card. And a little bit later, I want you to meet a friend of mine. He is a survival guy, was one of the youngest Boy Scouts ever. I think it was a Boy Scout or reached Eagle Scout at the time he was about 15 years old. Might have been the second youngest Eagle Scout ever. His name is Creek Stewart, and he's got a TV show that's all about survival. It's on the Weather Channel. He's got a new one coming out. And I want to bug him about the new show and get some stories out of him because he's a fantastic guy, especially now you should know how to survive, especially in the time of the COVID. So uh, it'll be an interesting rest of the program. Second hour on the way. Michael Pelka with you. On the Buck Sexton Show, as we say bye-bye to 2020, tonight and tomorrow. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka sitting in for my friend Buck. Happy to be here in the Freedom Hut. Actually broadcasting from the constitutionally protected free speech bunker in the woods of Delaware. That's where I make my home. And yes, I am surrounded by intolerable liberals. But at least I have good conservative friends like my buddy Jonathan Honig of the Capitalist Pig. And I've tapped on Jonathan so we can get into some of the craziness around the markets and Bitcoin and all of that stuff. Jonathan Honig, it's been too long, my friend. Welcome back, sir. Mike, thank you for having me back. Happy New Year. My God, what a year has it been? Uh, I mean, we've talked a few times over the year, and at each time it seems that there's new twists, turns, drama, certainly when it comes to the COVID pandemic, but when it comes to the markets and the economy as well. The good news is we're ending on a high note. I mean, low unemployment, high stock prices. You mentioned inflation, the worries of inflation, but still low inflation. And uh, something called Bitcoin up there at $25,000, a coin. My God, what a year it's been. Yeah, I, I'm wondering, does any of this make sense? You know, because if I think about the overall feeling on the street, on Main Street, not on Wall Street, a lot of people are nervous. People are nervous about their jobs. We have all these restaurants that are going away. Small businesses are at risk. And yet, like you said, stock market record highs. We've got unemployment at a kind of a reasonable level, not the record lows we had. And the cryptocurrency world is doing okay. That doesn't seem to balance out, Jonathan. Is there a a financial sort of Damocles hanging over our heads? (laughs) Well, it is. It's it's almost a tale, Mike, this year of kind of two different economies. Uh, First and foremost, 
is what we'll call the, the knowledge worker economy and what's been pulling the economy forward, what's been pulling the stock market forward. I mean, what's been pulling really the, the world forward has been these high-tech internets and, and, uh, and tech companies like the Amazons, like the Zooms, like the Facebooks uh, that have basically kept us going during this pandemic. I mean, Mike, we really owe a debt of gratitude at a time the government is going after big technology stocks. I mean, these are the companies that have kept us supplied, kept us fed, kept us connected, kept many of us able to work and continue to, do, to earn money during the pandemic. And, you know, that's a big difference. Think where we would be this year without Facebook, without Amazon without uh, Microsoft, all these amazing companies that have created technology. And they those have been the ones that have really been pulling the stock market higher. I mean, if you've owned, a, let's say, an airline, uh, you know, if you've owned a, a lot of the restaurants or retailers, you've suffered and you still haven't come back. But these companies that have been able to adapt, that have been able to provide the technology that powers our lives, they've thrived. And that's been a big reason that the economy writ large has, has prospered and certainly the stock market as well. It's those big cap names that are pulling us forward. So I have to be happy about Amazon now after I've been nervous about Jeff Bezos and all of his machinations. Now I have to pat him on the back. <laughs> well, if you know, think about the, the difference these days, Jeff or uh, Mike of, uh, of uh, returning a gift via Amazon, returning a Christmas gift via Amazon. You know, the label prints out, you leave it at your door, the UPS guy comes and picks it up. Or the old days, the pre-Amazon days, when you would have to, you know, get in your car, go to a parking lot, go to a Venture, uh, you know, or a Zare parking, parking lot, stand in line, especially during a pandemic. So there's no question that, you know, these companies are succeeding, those big tech, tech, uh, tech Cap, big cap tech companies are succeeding because of the values they provide. But there is something else going on, and you kind of alluded to it. I mean, to supposedly help the economy or save the economy, the Federal Reserve has been doing one thing and one thing only, and that is printing a hell of a lot of money. That's gone into a lot of risk assets. There was anecdotal evidence that a lot of the initial stimulus checks literally went into the stock market. You've also seen it with a lot of other what they call risk assets. And crypto is probably the best example. You know, I'm not a hater. This is a you know, Bitcoin is a is a topic that brings out a lot of anger and emotion in people, Mike. And I'm not a hater, but I can promise you this: Bitcoin or something as speculative that wouldn't have existed in 2008. It couldn't have existed in 2009, back when people were very afraid of risk in the midst of the global financial crisis. It's only because of all this money printing, all this speculation, that something like Bitcoin, I believe at least, can thrive and, and, and prosper. That's exactly what we're seeing now. Money's flying into all types of risk assets, uh, stocks, uh, even gold and precious metals, Bitcoin, and a lot of it has to do with potential risks about exactly what you said, that money printing. People are worried about the value of the dollar, so they're buying any type of other so-called hard assets. Real estate's gone up quite a bit to try to protect against that that risk. So, lots of moving parts in this American economy. But one thing I think is sure. It's the resilience of the American worker and the American company. I mean, they've persevered, they've held on with or without stimulus, with or without government lockdowns. Uh, and there's a lot to be said for the good old American worker and certainly the American entrepreneur during this pandemic and during 2020. Yeah, I think the entrepreneurs are the ones who we're seeing who recognize the Amazons and the UPSs and all of these types of industries were going to benefit. And they jumped in it and provided services to it, provided provided packaging, provided everything. I've seen some real interesting service industries pop up 
in service to those huge industries that are keeping us afloat. But I want to drift over. You, you mentioned the cryptos. Cryptocurrencies are such a mystery to people. And I have to ask you, Jonathan Honig from thecapitalistpig.com, I'm giving my elevator speech to people when they say, what the heck is Bitcoin? <laughs> and, and tell me if I'm right. And you can correct me, please, if I'm wrong, because I'm used to being corrected. I'm married 28 years. Uh, <laughs> when someone says, what the heck is Bitcoin? I say, look, somebody created a finite amount of digital codes, individual digital codes. Each one represents a Bitcoin. Let's say there's a million of them and they put a value on those of a tenth of a penny and you were allowed to buy any one of those million bitcoins i'm sure there's probably like 18 million of them or whatever now people are trading them and only the interest in them the individual's interest in them and the lack of ability to print more is determining their value so they've gone from a tiny fraction to now currently over $26,000 per Bitcoin. Did I explain that correctly? You no, know, I think you're, you're exactly right. I mean, Bitcoin is a, a digital currency. Exactly right, Mike. I mean, it's a it's a series of ones and zeros. And, you know, unlike uh, the U.S. dollar, which is backed by the full, as they say, the full faith and credit of the American government, Bitcoin is not backed by anything. It's, it's As you said, it's a series of ones and zeros, a computer code of which a finite number will ever be created. And there's a, a scheme, kind of a, a, a technique by which every, I believe, 10 minutes Miners are able to create more coins, so there's a there's a small way in which additional coins at a slower rate can be created. But you're right, there's a finite supply, and this year, after about a decade, the popularity of Bitcoin has exploded hundreds of percent. This year, Bitcoin has has risen, and you know I have to tell you, Mike, I mean you've been married for for 20 some years. I've been trading for 20 some years, and this really does bring me back to the late 1990s, the, the internet era. You know, back then it wasn't Bitcoin that was soaring, but it was these, what they used to call just internet companies uh, soaring. Uh, things like pets.com, for example, would come public and say, well, we're gonna be the pet store for the internet and would get rewarded with huge multi-multi-billion dollar valuations. What ultimately happened was that the internet did succeed, right? I mean, of course, we buy everything on the internet now, but a lot of those individual companies did not. And that's my very brave, probably very foolish prediction for Bitcoin is that the underlying technology, what's known as the blockchain technology, that will succeed, that will thrive. Well, that'll be integrated in all elements of the American economy. But the price of Bitcoin itself, and you know, the only thing I could point to is a, is a competing uh, currency. And you know, that's the thing, Mike, you know, you, it's hard to create a competing precious metal. You got gold, platinum, silver, and not much else. But in effect, anyone can create a competing cryptocurrency. And there's a lot of them out there. There's Ripple, there's uh, Ethereum, there's Bitcoin. And one of the major ones I mentioned, Ripple, that company who behind that was actually sued by the SEC in the last couple of weeks, that cryptocurrency has fallen by over 50%. So Look, it's it's white hot now, and uh, I'm a trend follower, so I say, you know, you don't ever want to bet against a rising tide. But in effect, know where the exits are. These are heady times for cryptocurrency, and my sense is the next 100 percent or the next 50 percent is probably lower rather than higher. I think that's wise because a lot of people who are Bitcoin fans are screaming, $100,000, here we come. And that usually makes me very nervous when hucksters start getting into it. 
And, and, and you know, Mike, the thing to remember for all of our listeners is that, you know, no one is omnipotent. No one knows the future. So when it comes to investing your money, the best piece of advice I can is, is give is don't make it an all or none decision. I mean, back in 1999, if, you know, if you owned some tech stocks at the top, you didn't get hurt. But if you went you know, all in, you really got hurt. So whether it's real estate in 2007, whether it's technology stocks in 1999, or Bitcoin today, make it a part of your portfolio, you know, not, the only, not the only part. You know, we haven't had the debt discussion, but I know you're a guy who doesn't like debt. You're like me. Uh, debt eventually weighs us down and holds us. Are you worried about all this government debt at all? I think we're the only ones that are worried, Mike. You know, it's it's a little shocking as a as a fiscal conservative for many many years, and who, as you said, me knows the long term uh, dangerous economic ramifications of unchecked spending. Uh, I'm a little bit agog this year at spending under President Trump. Uh, you know, came to power promising to eliminate the debt. We've done just anything, but we've done exactly the opposite. We've piled a lot on top of it. And what worries me, Mike, isn't necessarily a you know, cataclysm day where all of a sudden one day you wake up and there's fires burning and the ATMs don't work. And the, you know, that's what's always kind of portrayed is this end of you know end of times cataclysm what's unfortunately more likely to happen is frankly exactly what we saw after president obama remember back then the stimulus and the spending was only about 800 billion dollars that resulted in the slowest economic recovery the slowest recovery in modern times so as we're looking forward that's kind of my worry with all this debt not that we're going to collapse and become a third world country but that we're going to stagnate and there's other examples of that as well you know japan after its bubble economy in the late 1980s they Followed down exactly that same path. A lot of make-work programs, a lot of spending, a lot of uh, government debt, tremendous government debt, and their economy basically has been more abundant for 30 years. So that's my big fear moving forward. Not that you know the U.S. economy is going to fall off a cliff, but that we're going to stagnate. That unemployment's going to rise. Uh, the rate of growth is going to slow. The new in innovators don't pop up, and I think that's the real fear moving forward to debt and inflation as well, as you said. And it's they call it a silent tax. Mike, and it's really true. I mean, when they raised taxes on anyone, you can tell it's very obvious. But when your grocery bills, when your coffee bills, when your your clothing bills start to march up 10, 15, 20 percent, that's a tax one way or the other. And it all comes back to government spending, debt and controls. That's what we need to reverse. I'm with you, Jonathan. Fiscal conservatism. That's my gospel when it comes to my personal finances. I so appreciate you, and I encourage anybody, if you like what Jonathan's putting down here, go to thecapitalistpig.com, check him out, and we'll drag you back in here in 2021, little mister. Happy New Year to all of your listeners. Let's make it a great one. And there he goes, Jonathan Honig, the capitalist pig. Great, solid, conservative fiscally conservative financial advice my go-to guy at thecapitalistpig.com michael pelka in for buck sexton stepping aside we'll be right back thanks for listening to the buck sexton show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts welcome back to the buck sexton show michael pelka sitting in for my friend buck sexton on this last tuesday of 2020. I know I keep saying it's the last Monday, the last Tuesday, but I am so anxious to get rid of 2020. I'm going to celebrate every last of the days that we have to deal with. And I'll be here tomorrow, too, to celebrate the last Wednesday. So join me, won't you? And you can also join me on social media. 
I've picked up a few followers on Twitter and a few more of you have jumped on Instagram and uh, Facebook as well. So thank you. Thank you for that. A couple of other things I noticed in the news outside of the politics. There is more to life than politics, even though there are days it doesn't feel that way. So on days when we have a lot of heavy news and big time political news, I also look for stories that might be a little inspiring, like this one. This story out of Tennessee, where a seven-year-old boy saved his baby sister's life as their house was burning. This story happened a couple weeks ago, and it's just starting to make national news. In the small town of New Tazewell, Tennessee, where Chris and Nicole Davidson put their three kids in bed, they were asleep by 8.30. But in the middle of the night, they woke up to the smell of smoke and they found their house was on fire. But their 22-month-old daughter was trapped in her room. A baby, 22 months old, trapped behind the smoke and flames. They went outside and uh, Elijah, the seven-year-old, said, I can get through that window. I can climb through that window. And he did. Climbed into the window of the burning home rescued his 22-month-old sister as the fire trucks were pulling up. The whole house was soon engulfed in flames, but everybody human was out and saved. The little kid is a hero, a huge hero. Congratulations to the Davidson family. Quick thinking on Dad to lift little uh, Eli up in through the window to save his sister, and Eli a steel spine at the age of seven. He said, there was no way I was going to let my baby sister die in the fire. How about one more quick good news story? The story of a 93-year-old veteran, a 93-year-old veteran, Air Force Colonel John Hobson, who likes to keep busy and he whittles walking sticks and sells them to raise money for a local food bank. Yeah, we know about food banks being stretched to the limits. Well, John Hobson has done such a remarkable job, and the word has gotten out. He has raised, are you sitting down, $16,000 selling walking sticks in his little Ohio neighborhood. Sixteen grand from carving walking sticks, this retired Air Force colonel at the age of 93 is still serving this country. We stand and applaud you, sir. We would salute you, but that would be stolen valor. So we stand and applaud with a little bit of tear in our eye, just maybe. Colonel, thank you. God bless you. And to the young man, Eli, good work, son. Good news everywhere. Michael Pelka stepping aside on the Buck Sexton Show. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. It is the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka sitting in for my friend Buck tonight. And tomorrow we will wrap up 2020 with a look back at some of the crazier things we witnessed this year, tomorrow night. And boy, there are a lot of them that we witnessed. I'm sure you know them too. But I also want to talk about some of the crazy stuff going on today. Some of the things related to the lockdowns, other stories happening in the news. So I've tapped into my friend Sarah Carter, SarahACarter.com. I used to work with Sarah at the Blaze, one of the more enjoyable people in my Blaze years experience. And she's here with us tonight. Hello, my friend Sarah Carter. So thrilled that you are here. 
Oh, it's so great to hear your voice, Mike. I, I, I feel the same way. We're all very close. I mean, we all work together. You're right. In the early days of the Blaze, um, great memories at the Blaze. And I met great friends, lifelong friends like you and Buck and uh, so many others that we worked with. So I'm really I'm really grateful to be on with you today at the end of 2020. Yeah, I, I'm opening the door and giving 2020 a good kick in the butt. See ya. Me too. <laughs> Go ahead. Not going to miss you. Although, Sarah, I, I talked about this earlier. I'm a little concerned about 2021. Did you read the Nostradamus story? Ooh, no, please do tell. Are no. we going to have like, is this is a big end of the world thing, right, Mike, that you're going to tell me and it's going to scare me. But go ahead. Well, go ahead. Tell me the story. If you read the Nostradamus predictions from 500 plus years ago, Nostradamus was saying that this year will have asteroids and zombies on the Earth. So uh, I, I'm thinking COVID <laughs> looks pretty good. Oh, my goodness. It, it, well, you know what? That's what I kept saying. Everybody kept joking around. But, you know, there are people out there actually really worried now about the whole zombie apocalypse thing because of all these end of the world movies. So, you know, I talked to the um, deputy of the Health and Human Services. I interviewed him and he was saying, oh, there's all kinds of stories about even about the vaccine that they have to overcome. So no surprise. It started 500 years ago with Nostradamus <laughs> spreading rumors. Yeah, well, I'm I'm putting out a series of predictions for 2021 under my new identity of Nostradamus, and they are they're just f <laughs> foolish predictions, and and so be on the lookout for the Nostradamus predictions that I will be coming up with very shortly. Uh, unlike Nostradamus, can I be on your email list for that? Because I really want the Nostradamus uh, predictions. Uh, in my inbox every morning. Yeah, I'd be That's happy, what I want. happy to do that. There'll be a new Nostradamus prediction as many days as I can provide them. I'm going to have to go into some kind of a fever dream like I'm uh, a Democrat, like AOC has her little fever dreams about a socialist society, and there I'll dream about whatever Nostradamus would come up with, and I'll post them. We've well, let me tell you. The scary part of that, Mike, the scary part of that is that their fever dreams actually appear to be like some kind of real sci-fi novel that's actually taking place in our society. Because every day I wake up and I wonder, am I, am I living in an upside-down world? Am I living in a dream? What the heck happened to the United States of America and our planet? What is going on here? Because I really do feel... Even when you turn on, just you're watching the news, you're reading a paper, whatever it is, I really feel like I am living in some kind of dystopian world. Yeah, we are that way. I, I was looking at SarahACarter.com, your website, and I saw a story mm -hmm. that is particularly dystopian in its nature, showing the story about the Oregon salon owner. How is this not 1984 come to life? Oh, it's, it's, I mean, it's terrifying when you think about it. I mean, we can look at it and go, is that for real? Is that an, is that an onion story? Did, uh, was that a Babylon Bee? No, I mean, here's a salon owner and, uh, you know, same as the Senator Lindsey Graham, that's her name. Um, she, she said that the Oregon uh, governor, uh, Brown, actually terrorized her family. She's like, you know, this, 
this is incredible. She's not the only person, you know, that has suffered during the state's lockdowns, you know, and uh, they were trying to find her $14,000 for defying the rules and reopening her business uh, during the pandemic. I mean, and then they came after her and her family. She filed a lawsuit on December 18th against um, Governor Brown, um, claiming that forcing her business to shut down violated her civil rights. And she's absolutely right. You know, she came on the Ingram angle. I was actually on with her uh, right after her. And I remember while she was telling her story, I was thinking to myself, what kind of world do we live in? How is it that we live in the United States of America, the United States of America? And we have governors like Kate Brown overreaching the way that they have been um, utilizing fear in this COVID-19 pandemic to basically seize power in their state and um, harm people. And, you know, I'm really grateful for people like Lindsey Graham who are willing to fight people like Kate Brown. Remember, it was remember it was Governor Kate Brown in Oregon who literally asked neighbors to turn on neighbors. Like if you if you see more than six people showing up uh, at the Thanksgiving dinner at your neighbor's house, uh, you should call the police on them. You should turn them in. When did we live in? I mean, this is literally what happened in Cuba. This is literally what happened during the Soviet time. And it's a creepy crawl, right? It's a creepy crawl way of usurping power and taking power over people. And they do so with fear. And we know now, based on science and based on, I mean, facts, even like with New York City, with the shutdown of restaurants, right? And so many people uh, under threat of losing their businesses, and so many already have. But that the spread of the virus, even in restaurants, was like way below 2%. I mean, it was far less than anything that they had imagined because it was so clean. If you look at the stats in New York that show that uh, restaurants... And dining indoors was the fifth, and it was way down the list in terms of uh, the percentage of spread that it caused. It was in the single digits when we have big box stores that are opening and uh, other facilities that are allowed to be open, and they are spreading the virus at three and four and five times what you're seeing in restaurants and hair salons. This lady, I was just reading the story on your site, too. This lady said that was uh, three days after the um, the um, complaint she made publicly and right. opened her salon. Child Protective Services showed up at her house, and there was right. the, never a complaint unless she complained about what the government was doing to her business. Well, and this is the threat, right, Mike? So you you hold the government accountable, you confront them, and then the government uses the full power of the government against you. And this is what they did. I mean, she basically said that they sent Child Protective Services to her home and threatened the removal of her children. Can you imagine? Can you imagine just wanting to keep your business open? You want to be able to feed your family. You want to be able to save what you had worked for your whole life. You're doing everything you can to mitigate the spread of this virus. I mean, look, they're the ones that are determining. It's like Governor Kate Brown can determine what is essential and what is non-essential. You know, this is what's happening across the country. And 
what's essential is that people have their jobs, that people can retain their businesses, that people can feed their families. You yeah. know, not everybody, you know, what's going to happen when the handouts aren't there anymore? What's going to happen when you don't have a stimulus check? What's going to happen then? We now have a vaccine. We have multiple vaccines that are out there ready to go out on the market where people are getting vaccinated, not as fast as some people would have hoped, but it is happening. It's, it's on a massive global scale. These vaccinations will be done. People are following the rules. People are smart enough to follow the rules. I trust the American people. I trust people all over the world to well, do the right thing when it comes to them and their family. Yeah, I trust I trust the American small businessman and small business woman a lot more than I trust the bureaucrats who have not missed a paycheck since this started. This story about the uh, hair salon in Oregon also parallels the one in California in Stockton, California, where the health police came in and the owner said it was like a drug raid. They came in and told all the, there were people getting their hair did right there in the chairs. They told them to put their purses on the floor and their hands in the air. And so it was just crazy. And I finally think, Sarah Carter, that we are seeing the salon owners, the restaurant owners, all of these people banding together and they're standing up and saying enough is enough. And we can right. do this. If airplanes can do it safely with 150 people on a plane, why can't a hair salon with 10 people inside do it? Well, that's exactly what I've been saying. I mean, if you anybody who's flown in recent months, I have, knows that you're sitting right next to people on a plane wearing a mask. Of course, doing the best to keep yourself clean. And, you know, but you're not six feet apart on a plane. No. You're not six feet apart on a plane. I mean, that's just a fact. And, you know, when you think of these salon owners and small business owners trying to just keep food on the table, trying to keep their businesses open, trying to feed their families. And by the way, shame on the officers who went in there. I know that's their job, but there's other officers across the country and sheriffs that are saying we're not going to do that. We're not going to go in and raid people's businesses. I saw that in New Mexico. We've seen it in, in other parts throughout the country where officers are refusing to do that. Because this is about American business owners, small business owners doing the right thing. And it's very selective, Mike. These governors are doing things so selectively. And look at Governor Newsom. What a hypocrite. What a hypocrite who was caught at French Laundry, you know, a $22,000 like liquor bill at this fancy restaurant in Northern California, you know, without a mask on, with his um, family and friends, you know, laughing and gallivanting around. Uh, and by the way, that restaurant got a big chunk of money, you know, uh, for COVID, um, money that it applied for. And here's, a, you know, and here's a woman, you know, in Stockton who's just trying to get along, just trying to keep her salon open. And then she gets raided like she's, you know, Chapo Guzman in Mexico uh, running like a drug cartel. Oh, very good. It's very crazy. good. Very good. Chapo, an El Chapo reference. I love that. Uh, <laughs> her name is Sarah Carter. We laughed all the time at the blaze, and yet we still managed to cover the serious stuff, which Sarah does all the time. She's got her website. She's got her podcast, The Sarah 
Carter Show, which you should track down as well. My friend, I'm going to be in D.C. next week for the big event on uh, January 6th. If you're around, I'd love to say hello in person, socially distanced, of course. Absolutely. I'll be around. Anything for you, Mike. I can't wait to see you. I look forward to you coming to the um, to the swamp. <laughs> yeah, we'll be doing an air hug, though. Just six feet away, please. Six yeah. feet away. We'll do like a high five in the air. We'll do an air hug. We'll send a picture. We'll put it, we'll put it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, my friend. Anytime. Thank you, Sarah. Taking a break. It's Mike Opelka sitting in for Buck Sexton on The Buck Sexton Show. I met Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, and he fit me for my own MyPillow, and I haven't stopped raving about them since. These pillows won't go flat. You can wash them, you can dry them constantly, and most importantly, they're made right here in the United States of America. If you don't own a MyPillow or know someone who doesn't, now is the time to buy. For a limited time, Mike is offering his premium MyPillow. Yes, the one that started it all for the lowest price ever. You get a standard or Queen Premium My Pillow for $29.98. Originally $69.98. That's a $40 savings. And the king size is only $5 more. Now is the time to buy. Not only are you getting the lowest price, but Mike is extending the 60-day money-back guarantee and giving you until March 1st, 2021 to see for yourself. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the new radio listener specials. There you will not only find amazing offers like this, but deep discounts on all the MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, the MyPillow towel sets. Enter promo code BUCK or call 800-893-1007 for these great radio specials. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka in for Buck, and he'll be back in the new year. I was just checking something out. Something that happened on MSNBC yesterday that made me laugh. We often say Donald Trump is living rent-free in the heads of the liberals. He's up there, and they can't get rid of him. Yesterday on Morning Joe, Donnie Deutsch, who is just, well, I can't say it on the radio, Donnie Deutsch showed just how obsessed he is with President Trump. He's counting the minutes of the program before they mention Joe Biden. And he's upset that Donald Trump has been brought up a few times. Well, he's only the president, Mr. Deutsch. Donald Trump's not going anywhere because he's a media queer, but enough. It's on us now. I mean, he's a lame duck. It's over. He lost. He's gone. Like, we have to kind of... Kind of stuff to say, uh, like it's an hour and twenty minutes into the show, and Matt is the first time you mentioned uh, the, the name Joe Biden was mentioned. Enough with Donald Trump, right? He's done. He lost, and we, the media, have to be a bit disciplined and not continue to just cover this jerk every time there's this flatulence. I, I- every time there's this flatulence, you're referring to the president of the United States. These people really have lost it. And you, you know what's amazing to me is they're supporting Joe Biden, a guy who has obvious cognitive issues, a guy who really does have difficulty, and a guy who didn't campaign because they knew he had a problem. And they just can't. 
they can't deal with it. So I, I just had to share that with you. That was from Morning Joe. I think that was uh, yesterday morning. Also surprising to me, the uh, Democrats are having money troubles. They have some pretty serious money troubles in Georgia, where they have raised all this money for these runoff elections. And now they're telling everyone that they're out of money. Last night, John Ossoff, whose name just sounds like someone's cursing all the time to me. John Ossoff. Don't be an Ossoff. John Ossoff was on CNN and he used his time to ask for more campaign funds. They are launching lawsuit after lawsuit. And for us to mount the kind of turnout effort that we must, for us to be prepared for the litigation that's necessary to defend the franchise, we need help. It's electjohn, electjon.com, and I'm asking folks to invest in voter protection here. John, So the CNN anchor even said, y- you guys raised all this money, and no one has the uh, courage, I guess, to ask the question, why should we give you all this money if you can't even manage campaign funds? You know, the Democrats are just going to think they can throw money at every problem. And there are a couple of Republicans who think the same way, too. But I just think it's an absolute amazing story that they have spent $200 million already since the election. And there's a week to go before the runoff. And they are claiming poverty. They're claiming that they're being outspent by the GOP, even though they have raised more money than the Republicans. This is going to be an amazing week ahead of us. We're going to hear things. Stacey Abrams is already out there telling everybody that the GOP can't win unless they keep blacks from voting. They play the race card at every turn. And when you're playing the race card, it's because you're not able to talk about policy. You're not able to talk about the actual things that matter when you want someone to be your elected representative. I'm just telling you, pay attention. We live in very interesting times, possibly even some of the most historic times ever. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton on The Buck Sexton Show. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka in for Buck, finishing out the year for Buck while he enjoys his vacation. And we were just talking about Georgia and the ridiculous amount of money being spent on the runoff elections because it will determine the control of the Senate. And the money is just astronomical. And it's being used to blanket the airwaves on radio and TV with all kinds of crazy ads. But it's also being used for getting people out in the streets and knocking on doors and talking to potential voters. And one of the people who's out there knocking on doors, leading the charge to register Republicans and make sure people get to the to the voting booth on or before the 5th of January is one of the more inspiring people I've met in the last couple of years. His name is Scott Pressler. He's a young man who just voted in the presidential election for the first time because he wasn't old enough to vote in the last election. Scott is a beacon of hope 
for the youth of this country. I really look at this guy as an inspiring character, and I hope he continues. His enthusiasm is infectious, and he's taking a break from knocking on doors to join us tonight. Scott Pressler, welcome to the program, sir. Wow, I've never had someone call me a beacon of hope before. <laughs> well, I think I'm you are. Have to use that, <laughs> that I, one. I think I'm you are. I'm doing really good. Thank you. Yeah, we we see you and your your enduring spirit. You just have boundless energy, but you're always positive, and I think that is something that cannot be underestimated or undervalued. It is much needed in these crazy times that we're living in, my friend, and and you are bringing that to doors all over Georgia. How many doors have you knocked on in the last couple of weeks? Oh, easily hundreds. I've registered new voters. Get this. People that didn't vote in the November election who were Trump voters, I've now registered them to vote, and they've already said that they voted in the runoff Senate election. So don't even get me started about why people weren't voting. But the fact is we've registered new voters. We've recruited volunteers. We've knocked on hundreds of doors, and I'm returning a third time to Roswell, Georgia, and I will be a guest host for Right Side Broadcasting at the Dalton, Georgia Trump rally on the 4th. So the night before the actual final day of voting for these runoff elections, you're going to be there hosting on Right Side Broadcasting the streaming of the Trump rally. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Fantastic. This is good news. I I would have thought the president would have dragged you up on stage at this point because, (laughs) you know, he's seen you everywhere. I've seen you at the White House, so I know he knows who you are. Hey, this is about supporting our president. This is about giving our president a Senate that he can work with, because people need to understand this isn't just about two Senate seats. This is truly, if we do not win these two seats, it will be a 50 to 50. And should the election not go as we all hope it's going to go, that means that the vice president is going to be the tiebreaker. And do the Democrats want to give statehood to D.C.? Do the Democrats want to give statehood to Puerto Rico? This is about saving our country and we need these two senate seats as the firewall yeah you're you're right talking about those two seats or those two states which would be added which would add four more senators obviously democrats and that would sway the balance of power in the senate forever as well as electorally and you know they will pack the supreme court because they've talked about it. I, I've even heard the Democrats out on the campaign trail say they're not going to answer that question because they want to get it done. So your work there is really important, Scott. And I, I, I want to ask you, based on your door knock surveys, I'm sure you've run into some Democrats when you knock on doors. But what do you think the chances are? How are you feeling? What's the Pressler poll tell us? Uh, I'll be honest with you, and I'll be the same uh, honesty that I gave for the November election. This race is going to be close. 
Georgia is not a red state like we think it is. It's going to be a close election. It's going to be high turnout. Actually, I think we may see more people vote in the runoff election than voted in the November presidential election. And uh, we need to get the word out. The child abuse allegations coming out against Warnock, uh, the fact that his ex-wife was talking about the way that Warnock treated her, and then the fact that we just saw a tweet back in 2012 where Ossoff was telling people to follow Chinese state media. I mean, the Democrats, wow, they couldn't have picked two worse candidates. And this is our opportunity to send Leffler and Purdue back to the Senate to support our businesses, to support making sure that we are opening up America, to support that we are not closing down businesses with the disastrous Green New Deal. This is our opportunity to save the Senate and, quite frankly, save America. He is uh, he is so right. His name is Scott Pressler. You should follow Scott on Twitter. He's a great follower. Uh, you look up Scott Pressler or the persistence because he is the most persistent person I know. Scott, two days after the rally is a big event in Washington, D.C. We have the joint session of Congress where the Electoral College votes will have to be certified or they will have to face challenges. Are you going to be in D.C. at any of the events? I would not miss it for the world. Yes, my plan is I will be door knocking in Roswell on the 2nd and 3rd. I will be a guest hosting his right side broadcasting on the 4th. I'm going to drive home on the 5th, and I will be proudly there in D.C. at the Capitol building at 10 a.m. Plan to be there all day. Plan to wear comfortable footwear. Plan to wear clothing that's going to keep you warm. And I want everyone to hear me loud and clear. Any Republican elected official that does not object to the certification, I make a promise that we will recruit, we will train, we will fund candidates to primary you. And especially this goes out to Marco Rubio. This goes out to Roy Blunt. If you do not object to certification, we promise that you will have a primary challenger. And I do not support a third party. What I do support is that the Republican Party does not stand with President Trump as they should. Then we, the grassroots, we, the people, will remake the Republican Party in our image. This is a pretty strong statement to make from a young man who voted. I believe this was your first presidential election that you were able to vote in this year. Uh, If somebody doesn't stand up and object to the electoral counts that are being I know several uh, members of the House and the Senate have indicated they will object. But if Marco Rubio doesn't and I forgot who the other person you said doesn't. Roy Blunt. Roy Blunt. You will guarantee that they will be primaried the next time they are up for election. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? I've already got plans. I've been getting calls all across the country. I'm already coming to California. I'm already coming back to Texas. And you know what? If I have to hop on a plane to Alaska to knock on doors and register voters to primary Lisa Murkowski, if I have to hop on a plane to go to Florida and Missouri and all across the country, then that's how I will spend the next two years of my life. Because I am sick and tired of feckless leadership that makes us promises and turns 
their backs on the American people. And quite frankly, that's why I love President Trump. President Trump is the one man who looked us in the eyes and told us, I will cut your taxes. I will reform trade. I will stop the trade deals that are giving China uh, all, all of our business while we, the American people, suffer. So I, I will use my platform, I will use my power, I will use everything in my ability to take down peacefully these Republican elected officials that do not stand with us and stand with our president on January 6th. I love that you added peacefully because I think it is important to say, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, yeah. If, we, if we go back to the summer and uh, Fredo Cuomo, who said, where in the first in the Constitution does it say protests have to be peaceful? Well, it's right there in the First Amendment. Uh, we're committed to peace, but we're committed to law and order and the Constitution. And Scott Pressler, you are a tireless warrior this nation needs you you were chosen for this time thank you for being there my friend i hope to see you in washington i'm going to be there it's easy for me to spot you because you're so tall but uh i'll I'll (laughs) find you somehow i'll find you sir i look forward to it can't wait to see you there mike scott pressler very impressive young man as i mentioned earlier by the way if you want to know more about what's going on in dc and there are also some events that are expected to be happening in state capitals around the country you can go to wildprotest.com wildprotest.com that's one of the places i'm not endorsing it but i will tell you there's a lot of information there there are maps there to show you what the heck is going on and you can see exactly what may or may not be planned for january 6th in washington dc or in your state at your state capitol So wildprotest.com is a place you can go and get more information as well. I will be there, I hope, God willing, if they don't close my hotel. We're hearing there um, the mayor of Washington, Mayor Bowser, is um, putting pressure on hotels to close that day. And also, allegedly, there are reports that they are trying to block the porta-potties from being deployed. Wouldn't that be interesting? No place to stay and no place to go, if you know what I'm saying. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is the Buck Sexton Show with Michael Pelka sitting in tonight and tomorrow, wrapping up 2020 for my friend Buck Sexton. Happy to be here. Thrilled to be here, actually. This audience reaches out so frequently. I got a a message on uh, social media last night through a Facebook messenger. Somebody said, hey, can you play that Trump train song again? And I think, yeah, we'll try and squeeze that in. We have maybe one or two more plays of that uh, little song that we made to honor Donald Trump. And we'll try and squeeze. Maybe we'll do it just around the corner. I'm a fan of history, as is Buck. And I always like to go back and look at what happened on this day back in the day to see if we can learn anything. And on this day back in 1845, Texas became a state. In fact, it was the 28th state in the Union. Texas, though, it's not the same Texas you see today. There were a few more miles added to it. Let's just say it includes part of what is now Colorado and New Mexico. So kind of a different size Texas. 
Also on this date in uh, 1851, the first YMCA opened in Boston. I wonder if it's still open. Probably not the same building. 1940, FDR declared the United States to be the arsenal of democracy. Are we still the arsenal of democracy? I wonder. I know the rest of the world does look up to us, no matter what the Democrats say. We still are the place that most people would like to come to. On the state 1978, and I remember watching this game on live TV saying, oh my God, did we just see that? The Gator Bowl was being played. Remember bowl games? There aren't so many thanks to COVID this year. The Gator Bowl was being played, and it was Ohio State against Clemson. And Ohio State's coach, Woody Hayes, an iconic coach in college football history, got upset when a Clemson player intercepted a pass and started running it back. And he actually punched the guy. Charlie Bauman was the player who took a punch from Woody Hayes, who was not a young man at the time. It was a huge controversy. Gigantic. And as a matter of fact, Woody Hayes was dismissed from his job the very next day. Big stinking deal. On this date in uh, 1989, Canada became the first nation to ban smoking on all commercial airline flights. Smoking. Up until 1989, smoking was the, and then a lot of other nations jumped in right after. And then frankly, it, it was a good deal. Nothing like flying in a smoke-filled airplane. And there were times people would smoke cigars on airlines. Thank God we have clean air in the skies. Now we just have to wear masks, right? That'll soon be over. 1997, on this day back in the day, we had something called the bird flu that was breaking out in China. Hmm. China, where a lot of bad things originate. This was in Hong Kong, though. And uh, the government in Hong Kong said, we better do something about this. Their chickens were showing signs of this bird flu outbreak. So they culled the entire herd, the entire nation's herd. More than a million chickens were killed in China to prevent it from getting out of control. I wonder why they didn't do that with uh, bats or whatever was determined to be the cause, the origin of the Wuhan I'll just let that sit there. You know what? Let's wrap up this hour with a little fun. How about we play the Trump train one more time? We'll try and play it tomorrow as well. Ladies and gentlemen, thank Bill for this. He's the one who requested it. Climb on board. A disgrace. It's called the COVID relief bill, but it has almost nothing to do with COVID. $900 billion package provides hardworking taxpayers with only $600 each in relief payments. And not enough money is given to small businesses. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. Tell all the world, join hands, and form a Trump train, a Trump train. Tell all the world, join hands, and form a Trump train, a Trump train. Tell all the world, join hands, and form a Trump train, a Trump train. 
The Trump train. Maybe one of the last times we get to play that. I'll try and squeeze it in once more tomorrow as we finish out 2020. Michael Pelka stepping aside on the Buck Sexton Show. It's Michael Pelka, and I want to tell you the true story of Tim. Tim owed the IRS $348,000 in payroll taxes and trust fund penalties. But the story has a happy ending as Tim called my friend Perry Cronin with Axiom Tax Resolution Group. Perry and his team were able to settle this debt with the IRS for just $100. Axiom Tax Resolution Group only employs CPAs, enrolled agents, and attorneys, and they know how to stop those threatening letters and house calls from the IRS. If you owe more than $10,000 in past due taxes, you need to call Axiom Tax Resolution Group and get your tax problems fixed. I know it's late in the day, but if you have tax problems, call Axiom Tax Resolution right now at 844-8-TAX-PRO. That's 844-8-TAX-PRO. You'll talk to my friend Perry and start solving your tax problems immediately. Once again, that's 844-8-TAX-PRO or online at axtaxhelp.com. That's axtaxhelp.com. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka here in the host chair, filling in for my friend Buck, who is enjoying the warm Florida weather. I'm not jealous at all, not in the least bit. No, hardly. Yeah, I am. That's okay. I can admit it. But we're almost done with this year, and I'll be here tonight and tomorrow as well. I've been uh, talking to some of my friends from my Blaze days who are in different functions in the world of journalism around the country, and I want to introduce you to another one of them. His name is John Street. He is the managing editor of a really important website. It's called Campus Reform, and it's at campusreform.org. And I will tell you, in a world where we seem to be seeing uh, youth gone totally astray, it is comforting to know that there are places where the college campuses actually have kids who understand conservatism and are being helped along, nudged into, uh, I don't know, capitalism and uh, small government and big freedoms, which is, I think, what campus reform fights for. So uh, I want to get into some of the hot topics of the day on campus reform. John Street, welcome, my friend. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. Um, Was this the weirdest year in terms of college campuses? Did the the distance learning kind of tamp down some of the insanity we've seen in previous years with like safe spaces and all of the other madness we witnessed in, in the years before 2020? Well, unfortunately, just like everything else in 2020, all of the campus indoctrination, all of the campus coddling, all of that went from in-person to virtual. So the the lectures that we would see from students in class recording their professors um, going on these anti-conservative, anti-capitalist, anti-Christian, uh, you know, race-based uh, rants in class, those all kind of shifted online to virtual, uh, to, you know, virtual class sessions that in many ways kind of helped us to expose and helped parents to see just what their kids were being taught in school. Um, 
that prompted the parents to take a step back and say, hey, well, well, wait a minute. What am I exactly paying here for my children to go to college for 20 grand a year? And this is what I get out of it. So I think it, it in many ways shined a light on just how rampant the indoctrination runs in in, in higher education. But, but also, I, I think we saw um, just how um, – how easy it is or, or how convenient it is for many students to um, shift to more online-based um, classes when we, when we do go back to a, a semi-normal world after, you know, most of more of the country gets vaccinated. Um, so I, I think we could see a, a shift away from perhaps some of the on-campus culture um, that's facilitating a lot of the, the social justice um, and you know, co- campus coddling workshops that these schools often provide that students will, would go to voluntarily, but not maybe not receive you know, course credit for, and they may just take those classes online. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to watch and see where this all goes. The distance learning that we saw in the last year, I don't necessarily think it's been successful. But I wonder if it's been as damaging as a lot of people have said. Now, I'm someone who went to college in the uh, late 70s, John. So that tells you how long ago and how old I am. And uh, distance learning was not something we would have ever seen or even have thought could have worked. Uh, The college experience was more of a communal experience, uh, more akin to Animal House, if you've seen the movie, which I'm sure you have. And Uh I just can't imagine anyone growing up, and I mean that literally, actually having the experience of growing up with distance learning because you don't get the immersion of the social experience. And I think that will be the biggest thing that's lacking going forward in these these kids' lives. So I, I hope it changes for them going forward. Let's talk about some of the other social issues. Black Lives Matter. An entrenched element, it seems, on college campuses. What are you guys mm-hmm. seeing as it involves Black Lives Matter and college campuses today? Well, back in you know late May or June, throughout the summer, it was it was interesting to see um, how many colleges and their administrations came out in full throated support of Black Lives Matter, and you know we we tried to. Um, take a look at each one and, and just see if they were saying, you know, cause, because of course, you know, um, you know, black lives, um, we should cherish all lives and, and, and value all lives. Um, but we kind of took a look at it and differentiated between when the school was saying what I just said and when they were kind of offering an endorsement of the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was stunning to see just how many colleges would come out in a full-throated endorsement of the Black Lives Matter movement and go out of their way to, to try to differentiate what they were saying there. Um, not to mention the the number of instances where we saw, including a, a case where there was a dean at the, at the University of Massachusetts who was fired after she sent an email saying that Black Lives Matter, but also everyone's life matters. Um, there was a backlash as a result of that email. And she ended up getting fired for uh, for writing that email to students just for saying everyone's life matters. So we're li- literally living in uh, a time where it's so controversial to say that everyone's life matters or all lives matter. 
Um, and that we've gotten to a point where that sort of a statement can get you fired from universities in this country. And that should really send a chill down all of our spines um, because it, it violates what this country was founded upon. Um, it's a gross infringement of our, of, our, of our free speech. And, you know, it just shows that if you don't, uh, if you don't agree to, to adhere to what the, the leftist script is um, on Black Lives Matter, then your job could be at risk and your livelihood could be at risk. It's amazing. She lost her job. I wonder if she's suing or I wonder if they gave her some kind of golden parachute to get out. But that, to me, is an egregious violation of just general speech in this country. I, I was at the um, final night of the RNC in, in D.C. this past August and walking home and I was accosted by many of the people in the streets of Washington, D.C. after the event ended just before midnight. And there was a woman standing on the corner near Black Lives Matter Plaza just screaming at everyone, Black Lives Matter! And I, I looked at her and I said, why, yes, they do. And she chased me, not exactly sprinting, but followed me for about a half a block saying, what does that mean? What does, what does that actually mean? And I realized that any answer would be the wrong answer, so I just kept walking. I, I should never engage, I guess, is the ultimate answer. But that, that saddens me that we can't have a difference of opinion or even add a layer to an opinion without having someone attack us verbally or in the case of this dean at UMass professionally. And speaking of, of schools, the, the Leadership Institute is behind uh, campus reform. I got that right, correct? Yes, the Leadership Institute's campus reform. Okay, so they're the ones who are helping you guys stay afloat and have all of these great programs across all these campuses. Uh, what, yeah. what are you seeing as it relates to campuses in the Ivy League? I know you had a story about what the heck was going on in Harvard with the attempts to cancel anyone from appearing who had a relationship or connection to the Trump administration. Yeah, it was it was really crazy because there was uh, there were a few weeks back when there were there was a, a, peti a petition circulating at Harvard University, which, you know, the, the self-proclaimed prestigious school that, you know, many of our presidents and members of Congress attend and graduate from. There was a petition circulating at that school uh, calling on Harvard to ban any uh, Trump administration official from going into a teaching or fellowship role at the school. You know, oftentimes um, outgoing administrations members of that administration will will get jobs in higher education talking about and kind of um and teaching students about what it's like to work in the presidential administration that's all valuable um and but it seems like they're only interested in hearing those experiences if it's from a democratic administration because in this case they didn't want to hear from trump administration officials uh, I, I do think it's, it's important to point out that there there wasn't known uh, any known um, outspoken support um, from the Harvard administration, but they didn't exactly denounce it either. Uh, they and but but I think the the sentiment that led these students to lit literally call on the school to ban Trump administration officials, 
I think just goes to just goes to show the kind of environment that Harvard administrators and Harvard professors are creating in which students feel um, emboldened or empowered to call for a ban like this in the first place. You know, we've seen analysis after analysis that we've done with the Leadership Institute's campus reform showing that academics and higher education, they give uh, political donations to Democrats over Republicans by about a nine to one ratio. Hmm. And, you know, you could say, well, that doesn't really seep into the classroom, uh, except we've gotten so many, uh, you know, examples of, of quizzes and reading assignments and um, just um, lectures from professors um, that are just so anti-capitalist, anti-conservative, uh, just leftist talky points one after another, in many cases even anti-American uh, lectures and quizzes and reading assignments. And so you have to then wonder, is there are there political donations and their views that fuel those? Are they not seeping, seeping in the classroom? Because it really seems like they are. Yeah, uh, they have to be. It absolutely has to go. Follow the money, people. Follow the money and you'll understand where the politics is going to go because it is never too far behind. We're talking to John Street from Campus Reform. John, I got just about a minute and a half left. I know you sent me a note and said the biggest problem going forward on college campuses is coming from overseas. Do you really guys do you guys really rate China, communist China as the greatest risk we face in our colleges? I do, um, and here's why. So we have uncovered campus after campus after campus that has opened, and it's still operating in many cases, and we have a map um, that you can see on campusreform.org that shows just the number of Confucius Institutes that are operating college campuses. Now, China builds these as cultural um, centers where people can learn the language and the culture of China. All that's fine and great if that was indeed the case. But what we're seeing is that China, by its own admission, one of their their, uh, prior propaganda ministers, not to mention our own intelligence agencies here in the U.S., have said that these Confucius Institutes operate as no more than propaganda centers for the Chinese Communist Party. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at just the amount of money flowing into these universities, in, in, in many cases, millions of dollars per university, uh, billions of dollars across the entire country that these countries are receiving from China, Chinese entities, which we all know are controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, because there is really no such thing as, as, as an independent entity in China. Um, when you see that money flowing in from China and then add that to the Confucius Institutes operating on college campuses, yeah, spewing Chinese propaganda, you really have to wonder, are these really American universities with American interests at heart, or are, have we allowed China to uh, seep into American academia and influence our, um, our young people's minds, um, who would then go on to become our nation's leaders? And I think that's a real threat to our democracy and one that we, we really need to be on top of. I think you're generous when you say seep into their minds. It's more like the coronavirus has infected the bodies. We have the communist virus, which uh, I know that's dramatic, but it does seem to have a unique parallel. His name is John Street. He is the managing editor of campusreform.org. 
you should go there and find out what they are doing to help the kids on college campuses. And if you have a kid on a college campus or are one, you should go there anyway. Thank you, my friend. Happy New Year to you and yours. Happy New Year, Mike. Thanks. And he's gone. Mike Opelka also taking a break on the Buck Sexton Show. We'll be right back. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Mike Opelka in for my friend Buck. And I just got a text message from a buddy of mine named Henry who said, uh, you know that, that guy from the campus reform group, why didn't you talk to him about the story the New York Times ran, which basically celebrated a woman being canceled and being forced to renounce her entrance into college because of a years old video where she used the n-word in a three second video basically it was used against her Uh, somebody got this video years ago waited until this young lady had selected her college and then posted it and uh this this reckoning as the new york times called it has pretty much ruined this young girl's life at the moment she was the varsity cheering captain and dreamed of going to the University of Tennessee at Knoxville and when she made the announcement that that's where she was headed she'd been accepted this guy unleashed this three-second video from two or three years earlier and her life was ruined and I asked John can we talk about this and he said no we're, we're still investigating this We're still looking to make sure we can get the entire story on this because a lot of people are saying she was thrown out, that the school told her, you can't come here. And it looks like responsible reporting is showing that the young lady pulled herself out of it. And maybe there was pressure from the school. Maybe there wasn't. We don't know. But I always respect a journalist who says, I'm not going to rush to get the story out just to be first, I'd rather get the story right. And that's what uh, John and the people at Campus Reform are doing. They're waiting until they get the whole, what is her name, Mimi Groves story in full before they opine or post it online. I suspect, this is my own thinking, nobody else, that the school said, uh, we understand there's outrage about this. We don't think it was intentional. This is my speculation again. Why don't you take a gap year and withdraw and come back and maybe the opportunity will be here after a year. I'm just saying that is one possibility that may have happened. But I'm totally against this kind of character assassination. People waiting with clips from teenagers from years ago. And saying, oh, yeah, well, what about the time you said this? It's really kind of evil, especially when you take a 15-year-old's words and use it against an 18-year-old adult. It's kind of unfair, but that's just me. Michael Pelka, stepping aside, when we get back, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine who is possibly the greatest survival trainer ever. Creek Stewart joins us next on the Buck Sexton Show. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
It's Mike Opelka in for Buck on the Buck Sexton Show. Where does the time go? I was just looking up at the clock, and it's almost time for us to get out of here. I can't believe it. I'll be back tomorrow, though, and we'll look back at some of the moments of 2020, some of the highs, some of the lows, some of the most embarrassing things that we witnessed in the past 12 months, and there were plenty. A lot of them have to do with the mainstream media. I'm not going to lie about it. And I I think they really should be embarrassed by some of their behaviors, especially those people over at CNN, who I don't think remember what journalism really is about. Jake Tapper and Jim Acosta getting a lot of heat in the last 24 hours. Tapper accusing the press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, of just lying every time she opens her mouth. This was Tapper two days ago talking about how he'd never book her on the show. There are some people that are such, um, they're just so mendacious, I just wouldn't put them on air. Um, Mm. Kaylee McEnany, I I never booked her. Uh, Jason Miller from uh, the Trump campaign, I would never book him. I mean, these are just people who just, they just tell lies the way that, you know, most people breathe. Hmm. And yet they will book Eric Swalwell. They will book Adam Schiff. They will book people who wouldn't know the truth if it came up and bit them on the face. Don't get me started on Brian Stelter. Oh, oh, but Acosta, Jim Acosta, also known as Abilio, that's his real first name, Abilio Acosta. He changed it to uh, a more acceptable name, I guess, he thinks, in the media. It's the same thing with um, the mayor of New York, who was born Warren Wilhelm, but changed his name to Bill de Blasio, because Bill de Blasio sounds like somebody you'd vote for. True story. He changed his name when he got into politics because he was worried people wouldn't vote for Vorin Wilhelm unless they were voting for the Chancellor or the Führer, maybe. Hmm? Maybe de Blasio? Anyway, the word on uh, uh, Jim Acosta is he's going to cover the presidency of Joe Biden a lot differently than he covered the presidency of Donald Trump. Of course, we know you all are. You're going to give them a free pass. That's how you people operate. I've got more to say about the mainstream media because the Trump Accountability Project is still out there, and we'll cover that before we get out of here tonight. But I see my friend uh, Creek Stewart is holding. My buddy Creek Stewart, the man behind Fat Guys in the Woods and some of the greatest survival television you will ever see, Creek is uh, somebody I I stalked as a viewer because I loved his show, Fat Guys in the Woods, and we became friends. I didn't really stalk him in the way of stalking, you know, just wrote him notes and said, hey, come on the radio, let's talk. And uh, he is one of the more fascinating guys, one of the youngest Eagle Scouts ever in the history of scouting, and now he is the best survival trainer ever, skills that you will need. And he's joining us here to talk about his brand new show, that's premiering, I guess, in just a couple of days. Creek Stewart, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, my friend. Oh man, Mike, it's really good to talk to you, man. So good to, so good to be back on your show. Well, I'm glad you're here, and I will tell you, when I look back on 2020, and I'm glad to see it go, happy to see it leaving. Uh, I thought to myself. 
the one guy I know who could get through all of this, the the lack of toilet paper, the concerns about food, all of that stuff is Creek because Creek's able to survive anything. So uh, I'm wondering, how did you and your family fare during the COVID? Well, we fared pretty well. Um, you know, the 2020 was a really interesting year for us, too. So, I mean, one thing for sure is that it really it really made me think about my own preparations for hunkering down, you know, even as a survival instructor. You know, it was a really interesting reminder for me. And I have I have had a resurgence in just an interest in preparedness and long-term food storage and hunkering kind of bugging in skills personally. Bugging in. I like that because I know you've often talked with me about what what should be in a bug out bag if you had to run pretty quickly from a situation and and i've got a bug out bag in the back of my car and it's not my golf bag even though a lot of you would suspect that but bugging in is is making sure that where you stay or where you are has everything you need god forbid something goes haywire completely in our world you like to say it's not a matter of if but a matter of when and we're starting to see more whens these days creek aren't we yeah, we sure are. You know, I used to, I used to think that natural disasters were our number one threat, but I don't know. I don't know these days. I don't know if it's natural disasters anymore. So, I'm fortifying the home front uh, for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> well, I think that's wise. You know, you be prepared for anything that comes down the pike. Now, you have yep. been, uh, you've made several different shows on the Weather Channel. And you've looked at people who've been amazing survivors. I followed that series where you showed us people who've made it through impossible situations. But you've got something new coming up, and it's uh, debuting in a few days. What's the new series about? Well, the new series is a continuation of the show SOS, How to Survive. So the new show is called Could You Survive with Creek Stewart, and it is a similar show concept to SOS How to Survive. We are finding people who have struggled through real-life survival scenarios, and we're telling those stories. It is in a new format, so we're telling them in a new and interesting way. A lot of, I'm teaching a ton of skills in this series, and we're really getting down and dirty with the details of the stories that we're covering. We filmed the entire the entire production pretty much during the heat of COVID up in Canada. And so I had the opportunity to film in some really unique places in Canada and just meet some absolutely incredible people who have survived the craziest stories, survival stories I've ever heard in my life. Can you give us a, a teaser on one of them, like a, just a little snip of, of one of these crazy survival yep. stories? Yeah, absolutely. So our our season premiere is Sunday uh, on the Weather Channel, and one of the stories that we'll be opening with is a guy named Jose who uh, lives in Texas, and he crashed his car on a busy highway. It drove off the road and into the woods only about 100 yards from a major highway. But he was so injured that it took him a full day 
to crawl from where he was in the woods. He had been thrown out of the vehicle to crawl from there to his car, and he ended up having to survive literally right next to his car for days until someone found him. And he was so injured that it was it was a struggle for him to even get into his car. And so I teach some really interesting kind of hybrid urban and survival skills using vehicle parts and pieces. So it's a really, really unique and captivating story. You are like the the survival MacGyver. You know, you can look at something and say, okay, we have this, this, and this, and it normally is a car, but by the end of the day, it's going to be a shelter, there's going to be a stove in there, and we're going to basically uh, split the atom as well. I, I just love the way you look at stuff. I, I have to tell the audience, Creek Stewart and I walked around New York City and looked at different survival things, and one of my favorite moments was walking around Central Park with you. And I said, could could we survive here if every everybody else was gone? You know, if the uh, if the bomb dropped and all we had was Central Park. And you said, yeah, yeah. Look, look over here. You got ducks. You got, you got squirrels. You got if you haven't eaten squirrels, stew, you haven't lived. <laughs> so um, I, I just love that way of looking at the world and finding ways to make use of things that may not be apparent based on their intended use. So this is going to be very cool. This is premiering on the Weather Channel Sunday evening, episode one. It's Is it called Can You Survive This? Is that what it is? It's called Could You Survive? Could You and Survive? Uh, Sunday, yeah, Sunday evening at 10 p.m. Eastern. Well, you know I'm going to be watching because I'm a creek freak. <laughs> that, that is kind of where I fall. Uh, I, I, I have a thought for you, though, Creek. You know, it's been a while okay. since Fat Guys in the Woods, right? It's been yeah. a few years, and there were only X number of episodes of this fantastic series. I think you, we could do Fatter Guys in the Woods because all of us <laughs> who've gained a few weights, a few pounds since COVID could be brought out into the woods and maybe help people burn off what they've put on while, while sitting at home. Free idea. I love it. I I love I love it. I may I may run with that. I tell you what, there's never been a better time to be in the woods than this past year, though. You yeah. know, you're away from people. You're away from all the craziness going on. The woods is a good place right now. And it's full of food and shelter and and time to think, which is what a lot of people really should be doing these days. Sitting and thinking. <laughs> yeah. uh, his name is Creek Stewart. Creek, where's the best place to find you online? Real simple, just my name.com, creekstewart.com. Creekstewart.com, one of the one of the greats and a, a nice guy as well. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you being there. I hope you and the family. By the way, your son, he's gonna bump you off TV before long. You know, the kid's <laughs> the kid's a star. Yeah, he's he's working. He's getting an earlier start than I did, that's for sure. <laughs> he's fantastic. Thank you for sharing, Creek. Hey, thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure, man. Craig Stewart, check him out. And if you are so inclined, find the old episodes of Fat Guys in the Woods. Fascinating stuff, and it got me thinking, maybe I need to learn a little more about how to survive if I were trapped somewhere, you know, unexpectedly. Mike Opelka, stepping aside, we'll come back and wrap up tonight's edition of The Buck Sexton Show. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Michael Pelka here, sitting in for my friend Buck Sexton. Thrilled to be here. Happy you joined us. And uh, I appreciate all of you who reached out. So many on Facebook, thanks. And so many on Twitter as well. I'm also on Instagram, but I tend to post like thoughtful things on Instagram. And a couple of my political friends are like, yeah, your Instagram posts are wimpy. Well, you know, I get a little arty on Instagram. So forgive me for not being a political animal all the time. As I've said here, man does not live by politics alone. There are other things out there and we can have a little fun too. So if you want to follow me, politics pretty much shows up on Twitter. Facebook is a combination and Instagram, I tend to lean a little bit over to kind of the artsy-fartsy stuff or just flat-out silly stuff. I post a lot of memes, and there are a lot of funny memes out there, and those are based in politics, yes. So join me. Hang out with me. Tomorrow, we will dive into some of the, uh, some of the crazy stories of the past 12 months, obviously the pandemic being among them, one of the biggest and we'll replay some of the great pandemic parodies of the last year because there are many, many. But I was just checking out what Biden was saying today. Joe Biden, who had one of his uh, briefings today, and it sounds to me like Joe Biden is going to be a big spender. You know, he's dropping hints that if and when he is sworn in on the 20th of January, God forbid, that he's going to be a, a tax-and-spend liberal. And here's a little bit of the hint he gave today. You know, the founders are pretty smart. You know, there's a reason why all the states and localities have to have a balanced budget. We're allowed federally to run a deficit. Hmm, federally allowed to run a deficit. Sounds very different from the Joe Biden in 1991, the guy who was standing up in the Senate screaming about freezing everything in the federal budget about really putting the brakes on all federal spending. Do you think this guy would be allowed in the Democrat Party today? We should freeze federal spending. I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. Hmm. Can you imagine if a Democrat said that on the campaign trail? If a Democrat said, I think we should freeze all federal spending, they would have marched him out of the party. He would not have been allowed into a convention if they had a convention. We all know it was virtual. But this is kind of like going back and looking at what JFK said. Because Kennedy, Kennedy would have been tossed out of the the Democratic Party, before he even got his card filled out. Joe Biden from 1991, a little bit different than Joe Biden from 2020. This guy, this guy might have gotten some GOP votes. I'm just saying. We should freeze federal spending. I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans. I meant every single solitary thing. In the government. Hmm. If only. If only there were Democrats who believe that if you don't have money, you shouldn't spend it. No, they're busy sending money over to Pakistan to do gender studies. They're busy sending almost a half a billion dollars to Central America to find out 
why people want to come to America, why people would risk walking hundreds of miles in really rough terrain to come to America. Well, if the $2,000 stimulus checks pass, guess what? Some of the undocumented people who came here from Central America will be eligible to fill out the paperwork and get some of those checks. I'm just, I'm not happy about it. And the things I want to say, I can't say on the radio. We'll dive into some more of this tomorrow. And we'll get into, as I said, some of the memories of the past 12 months, the good, the bad, the ugly, and maybe look hopefully at the coming year. At least we'll try to. I've got a couple surprises up my sleeve. You'll have to be here to find out. Mike Opelka sitting in for my friend Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show. As we like to say when we end each and every show, testudo, my friends, testudo. We should freeze federal spending. I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. All right, Joe. Now get out of here. We got it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.